0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. So the past couple nights, we've been talking so much about being out of control. You might have even felt that way when you walked in tonight and you're like, wait a minute, something's changed about this room. I'm out of my element. How am I going to do this? I heard a couple comments like, ah, I don't think I like this. You know, as They're walking past me just at, the, just at the roundness of this room and stuff. I, I came in and thought, oh, no, I'm going to get dizzy just trying to talk to you. This is going to be crazy. I'm going to be spinning and spinning. But it's because we get so use, used to um, everything being the same. And then we get these little wake-up calls, these tiny little nudges in our life that remind us that we're not in charge, that remind us that we're not in control whether that's sickness or or you get hurt or whatever that happens to be. It's just this subtle reminder that I, I, I don't have control over the situation. And then we talked about the cause of that, that sins in the world at all is why this world is so messed up. It's not because God has messed up the world. It's because we chose to mess up the world. We chose to step out of a relationship with a loving heavenly father who didn't give up on us, by the way, who decided to pursue us even when we were disobedient. What I love about Scripture, um, it, it tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means it wasn't that God looked to you and said, hey, I think that guy's pretty good, or I think that girl's pretty good. Maybe I should die for that person. He looked at us at our worst. When you think about your worst that nobody else knows about, those little hidden things, The stuff that's just in your mind that you think nobody else knows, the thoughts you've thought about somebody else, or maybe there's some really open things that people have seen. When we think about that kind of stuff, it can floor us because we're like, you know what? I'm I'm glad nobody else knows that. Jesus knows those things and loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of that. Uh, A while back, I mean, a way, way while back when I was in college, I worked at a Christian bookstore. And uh, we had, you know, Christian CDs and and Bibles, of course. Bibles have to be at Christian bookstores. Um, but the thing that always got on my nerves were the Christian T-shirts. And no offense if you have a Christian T-shirt on right now, by the way. But some of them are just straight up lame. Like some of the lamest things. It look like Coca-Cola from a distance, and then you get close, and it's Jesus Christ. But it's look. It looks like a copyright infringement ripoff or something. And they're always just lame puns and different things before puns were cool, mind you. I mean, so like, and I'm. Just, I never wanted any of them. I think one shirt I bought when I was there all the whole time, and it had a had a glow-in-the-dark moon on it, and it said "Be the moon," and then on the back it said "Reflect the sun." And I thought that was pretty cool as S O N. But at the same time, it still had a it's kind of kind of a subtle hint of lameness to it. You know, like the whole the, you've seen what I'm talking about, right? And I started to notice something because I'm a Star Wars fan. Wherever I would wear Star Wars shirts even if it was Walmart, somebody would walk up to me and be like, dude, Chewbacca, oh yeah, did you see? We start talking about Star Wars like 20 minutes later. We can't move, my wife has to go on, my kids are like, come on, stop talking, pulling my leg and everything. And we're having this conversation because it's like we're family all along, but yet if I had a shirt on that had something about God, maybe it was a camp t-shirt or something from a Christian camp, and I'd run into somebody else with a Christian t-shirt and I might be like, hey, I like your shirt, and they'll be like, I like your shirt, that was it. Only Christians were coming up to me about shirts that had anything to do with God. It wasn't other people being like, whoa, so that's a Christian t-shirt. How do I come to know Jesus? Like nobody was doing that. And so there came a time where I was like, you know what, I want to have a shirt that's a conversation starter. And I made several of them. I'm not selling them. This is not a commercial. But I made several of them for me. And I called a couple um, T-shirt providers in our area, and I was like, hey, um, can I use this illustration? And here's kind of what I'm thinking. And then they designed me a shirt. And one of the shirts that I designed, and I've got a picture of it up here, I believe, um, somehow I scrolled all the way back to Monday while I was talking. Okay, so i got a picture of it. It says soul crutch, and that's all it says, just soul crutch. And there's a tiny, tiny little reference hidden in the crutch that says 2 Corinthians 12.9. And, and just on first look, you have no idea what soul crutch could possibly mean. And I'm, I'm standing in the line. It was like the first day I wore this in public. I'm standing in line at a gas station, and there's a guy in front of me, and, and he kind of looks around slowly, and then he sees my soul crutch T-shirt, which he hadn't seen before because it was the only one in existence. And, and he's like, hey, does that shirt mean what I think it means? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think it means? He's like, like religion is a crutch for the weak, And I was like, that's exactly what it means. And he's like, yeah, like that, and went to pound it, and I pounded it. I said, here's the thing. Like, people who have found Jesus are admitting their weakness, but everybody else in the world is just walking around limping. And he was like, I see what you're doing. It's like a militant atheist. He's like, I see what you do. doing. Okay, I get it, you know, and he turns back around. But it opened that door for that conversation because it hit me one day. It was one of the things that, that really bothered me when I talked to people that didn't know Christ and they would be like, I don't want to hear that, that Christianity stuff, that's a, that's a crutch for the week. I don't need that. And all we've dwelt on this week is how, how much we are out of control and, and all those wake-up calls that we get that we're out of control. And we need, eh, we need more than a crutch. We need a stretcher because spiritually we're paralyzed. And so to say that I need a crutch is not, not something that makes me weak. It's something that makes me realize that I need to find somebody who's strong. If you're walking down an alleyway, and people are coming at you big dudes coming at you and everything and you're just like oh this was a bad idea and then all of a sudden your biggest strongest friend like walks up beside you you're going to feel so much more comfort in that situation be like oh good now now i can make it i can make it through the alley this will be this will be a lot better now like realizing that we need to go to somebody else sometimes is a sign of strength and not of weakness that verse that's hidden in that crutch right there in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, Paul had just asked, I'll give you some context and then we'll look at this verse, but Paul had just asked God to take away something from him that he considered a thorn in his flesh. Anybody ever got a thorn in your flesh before? I've, I've gotten a thorn at my fingernail one time. That's like the worst. That, well, I say it's the worst, but I got shot in the ear by a paintball today that didn't break. So maybe that's the worst. I don't know. It just keeps getting worse. Was that you? Did you do that to me? Thank you. I had no idea who did it. I just assumed it was a professional, and I guess I was right. Anyway, so right in the ear. But Paul had this thorn in the flesh, and we don't know if it was a physical ailment or was just something that really bothered him, but he asked God three different times to take it away from him. See, Paul thought he would be more effective if this thing was gone, whether he had a limp or he had bad vision. Some people think he had bad vision because at one point in of his letters, he said, see what large letters I write to you. And he might have been emphasizing what he was saying, but it might have been because he just couldn't see the page. We don't know. But he thought he would be more effective if God would take this away from him, if he could be 100%. But if Paul was 100%, then Paul could take credit for everything he was doing. There's a reason why over and over again, this theme runs through scripture where God uses somebody in their weakness and everybody gives credit to God and not credit to that person. There's a reason why a kid took down the giant instead of another really big, hulking, strong guy, because God wanted everyone to know that he was the one doing this. There's a reason why in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, there was a guy named Gideon who with 300 people took down an army and God confused the army through a series of things and everyone gave credit to God and not to Gideon because they knew, hey, it couldn't have been this guy. There's no way, this is unbelievable. There's a reason why Joshua walked around a city seven times with his people, and then they blew trumpets and she yelled and screamed, and the walls came down. Nobody could be like, whoa, I've got to get me one of those sonic trumpets. You know, like they know it's not that, it's God. And God, God wanted the credit for what Paul was doing too, so people could see God in him. Because when we see God in somebody else, that is that that's a huge thing. If I see somebody just turn over a new leaf. Or they have this New Year's resolution. They do a couple of different things for a couple months. Usually it's around, you know, January 1st. Planet Fitness fills up with new memberships. Everyone's going to lose that 10 pounds. By March, there's plenty of room, and you can get on whatever treadmill you want because everybody's given up. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm talking about turning over a new life where God comes in, where death is arrested, and our life actually begins at that point. Jesus called it a second birth. It's like being born all over again, And he starts over new with us. He makes us a new person. So here's his answer to Paul when he's like, can you please take this? And he said, my grace. Remember, grace is that gift that we don't deserve. My grace is sufficient or is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. We don't think about that. That's counterintuitive to the way we think. If you're watching the NFL draft and they draft some, some guy you've never heard of and he actually doesn't even play football, he's a tennis star and everything, and they're just like, ah, we're just going to mix things up. We've tried it with football players the past few years and we haven't won a Super Bowl, so get the tennis guy. You're, you're going to be like, what is going on here? This is not the way we think. We look for strength. We want to bring strong people around and hear God saying, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So there are three reasons, and there's probably way more than three, but three reasons I came up with that show that we are weak as human beings. All right, the first one's going to blow your mind. Don't show it yet. Blow your mind. If you write things down, you might want to write this down. I thought about this one and thought about this one. This is the one I'm most proud of. The number one reason why we're weak is because we are. Let it sink in. Because we are. Because think about this human beings can get paper cuts. Paper. I'm not talking about knife cuts. I'm not talking about chainsaw slicing through your body. I'm talking about a paper cut, a little tiny paper cut. You don't see dogs getting paper cuts or bears getting paper cuts. You don't see that. You don't, I, got, I lined up grass one time between my thumbs. A kid showed me how to do this. You ever done that and made the little <laughs> sound? You know what I'm talking about? It's not exactly how it sounds, but I don't have the piece of grass there either. And I took a long blade of grass that was kind of really rigid, and as I put it through there and lined up my thumb, I cut my thumb on grass. I got a grass cut. You'll never see a dog get a grass cut. Your dog will use grass. The whole entire front yard is Charmin toilet paper, and he'll just scoot all around there, and he's not getting a grass cut. We're really weak. If a bear was to try to give you a high five and he missed your hand and hit you in the stomach, your intestines would just fall out. It's like, I mean, we are extremely weak. You see any other creatures putting on sunblock? Look, I can't go out. I mean, the very thing that gives us vitamin D and that, that grows our crops and everything, we can't stay out in it for, like, super extended periods of time because it'll, like, it's killing us. Like, what, what happened? Did you, did you stick your arm in the fire? No, the sun did this to me from 93 million miles away. It's crazy. I mean, we are we are weak creatures. If we could not rationalize and God gave us that ability to rationalize, to think, to have abstract thought. Where we've developed weapons, we've developed traps. If we could not rationalize, there is no creature on this planet just about that you could that you could actually catch and eat. You'd be like bunny, uh-uh, a uh, uh, deer, uh, uh. I mean, we'd be running all over the place, not being able to do anything. You'd have to sneak up on a possum while they're sleeping in the tree. That's nature's pinata right there, but there's no candy in it. It's just hanging upside down. But I mean if we couldn't rationalize we wouldn't be able to do any of that stuff it's the image of god on us because god is a rational being god is a thinking being he's given those those same imprints on us so that we could do that so this extremely weak being can only give the credit that we've that we've become the dominant Species on the food chain who can do all this stuff. I mean, and what other, I mean, uh, we're like, wow, a beaver made that dam. That's really cool. And we have skyscrapers and iPhones. You know, this is all because of God. It's His strength in us that He's making perfect, that He's done throughout humanity. So the first reason is because we are. The second reason is if we weren't, we would risk falling into the temptation of pride. We would take it for granted that it's just us who are achieving things and who are doing things. And God wants us to know that all of these things that are happening around us that show us that we're out of control are reminders that we're not the be-all, end-all. And the third reason is because the strength of Christ's kingdom is built upon weakness. Now, that sounds weird, and if you've been to church before, you might think that it might not even sound biblical. Why is the strength of Christ's kingdom is built upon weakness? Like, what does that even mean, Nate? Are you serious about that? God's kingdom is strong. Check this out. 2 Corinthians thirteen four. For to be sure, he was, talking about Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Jesus had all the strength, all the strength you could imagine to be able to speak the worlds into existence, the stars, breathe them out like we've been seeing on the videos in the morning, to do all that awesome stuff, and yet he emptied himself and became a human being. And he he didn't use his God powers all over the place. There were times where he walked on water, times where he healed people. But just going through regular days, you didn't accidentally see Jesus, you know, just walk right across a puddle on top of it. You didn't see that. It wasn't unless he was doing something to show God's glory that he would enact that. And he did it always on faith. So Jesus wasn't like, look what I can do. I'm going to feed 5,000 people with some bread and fish. Whoop, 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 whoop. He prays first and asks God to do it. And he he uses God's power. He uses faith to model it for us. And in that weak form where he could get hurt like you, where he could get sick like you, where he had people die, people walk out on him, People walked out on him a lot. He would, he would say something, and it was kind of a hard saying to hear, and they would just abandon him be like, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. He's asking too much. He's asking me to surrender everything. I've got to go. Over and over again, people abandoned Jesus. By the time Jesus went to the cross, his earthly dad, his stepdad, who raised him, had already passed away. He dealt with that. He had seen people that he loves die. He lived in a weak world, and he lived in weakness, and then he went to the cross for us. That's a huge thing that God was doing, to allow us to allow us to be made new in him. The awesome thing about God, and we've been talking all week that he paid our price, he paid our price, and you might be thinking, okay, Nate, what do you mean by he paid our price? Who's, who's requiring this price? Who am I in debt to? We're in debt to God. You see, God made us perfect, and when we messed up, because of God's perfection, because of how perfect he is, he demands punishment for our sin. That's weird, isn't it? That God demands punishment, yet God's the one who paid for our punishment. That's a strange thing to think of, but that's because God is higher than us. He's not just 100% love. He's 100% justice and 100% love at the same time. And you might think, how can you be 100% of two different things? That's how awesome and higher God is than us. And his justice said, for Nate's sin, there has to be death. And his love said, if there has to be death, then I'll do it for him. So that his strength could be made perfect in my weakness. And in your weakness, we come to a decision point. We have to do, when we hear about Jesus, we have to do something with what we've heard. You can choose to do nothing, but in doing nothing, you're doing something. You're making a decision. You're making a decision to say, you know what? I'm fine how I am. I've got this. But do you? Did I? Did I have this? I'm not in control. And I don't know, a week from now, a year from now, six months ago, before you even came here, there's reminders in our life that we just don't got this. I I can't fix everything. I don't have a living grandparent anymore. All of them have passed away from diseases that I couldn't do anything about. Nothing. You want to feel weak? You'll feel weak when something like that happens. But Jesus came so that we could be strong in him so that we could find our strength in him. David, the same guy who killed Goliath, when he was walking, he was writing this this poem about God being like a shepherd. It was in Psalm 23. He said, even when I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you're with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. He didn't say, thank you, God, for taking me around that valley. He said, God walks with us through those valleys. When we're really struggling, We've got somebody who sticks closer than a brother to us that stays right there. That's what God wants to do. He wants to take weakness and turn it into a strength. He wants us to be able to call on him and to say, God, I'm weak. I'm admitting I'm weak. I can't do this on my own. I'm limping through life. And for Christ to come in and say, I've got this. I'll give my life for you. I've already done that. And if we don't accept what Jesus did on the cross, we make it of no effect for us. Because like I said the very first night, without a choice, it's not real love. Jesus isn't gonna make you follow him, but he gives you the option because he loves you so deeply and so intensely that he pursues you to right where you are. It's not a mistake that you're here this week, that you're sitting in this room tonight. It's not a mistake. There's plenty of other places you could have been. You could have done camp a different week. You could have done camp somewhere else. You could have not gone to camp at all. God knew before he built the foundations of this earth, before he did anything, he knew you would be here tonight. There were several different guys who came up to Jesus in the New Testament and asked him for eternal life. It was weird conversations. One guy was kind of wealthy. He walks up to Jesus. He's like, hey, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus turns to that guy and says, for you to go to heaven, you would have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then the guy left. He didn't want to do that. You might think, wait a minute. minute. I have to do what to to have a relationship with God and go to heaven? I have to sell everything? No, no, no. Jesus wants all of us. He wants 100% of me. He didn't stub his toe for me. He didn't break his leg for me. He gave his life for me, and he wants it all in return. And he knew right to this guy's heart, this rich guy, he knew that that guy valued his money more than he valued Jesus. And so he said, for you to really surrender everything, you'd have to, you'd have to do that because that's really, who you, that's really what you serve you serve stuff. Another guy came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but can I bury my dad first? And Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their own dead, which is kind of an odd saying to say to somebody. But see, the Jews, we talked about this with Lazarus the other day. The Jews buried people within 24 hours. This guy was listening to Jesus talk where Jesus was talking to a whole bunch of people, so that guy's dad obviously wasn't dead yet. He was saying, let me wait till it's comfortable for me. When my parents pass away, when I get their inheritance, then I can come do this. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you gotta come now, man. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's two guys hanging next to him, one on each side. One guy says to Jesus, if you're really the Savior, if you're really the Messiah, save yourself and save us. He asked to be saved. That's about the minimum of what we say in our churches. Oh, he has to be saved? Oh, bring him up. Let's get him saved. But the guy didn't want a relationship with Jesus. He wasn't surrendering anything to Jesus at all. He was kind of mocking Jesus in a way. Then the next guy on the other cross, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. You'll be with me in paradise. This guy asked a relational question, didn't ask to be saved, didn't ask anything like that. He just wanted to be on Christ's mind. He wanted to have a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus saved him in that situation. He saved him, not off of the cross. He didn't bring him off the cross, but he brought him to be with him forever. I want you to think about this real quick. Let's say, and we'll close with this. If you were fighting a battle and you're in a trench, You're just dug down deep in there. You're almost out of ammo. All your friends, a lot of them have died and so forth, and you're overwhelmed with what's coming over the hill, and you decide this is the most strategic thing I can do. I am not going to win here. I'm going to surrender. So you throw your arm up and you yell, I'm coming out. Don't shoot me. I surrender. They hear you say that. They say, come on out. You step up out of that trench with one hand high in the air, and your other hand is a gun. What's going to happen to you? You're going to get shot. Because there's never been a time in the history of mankind where 50% surrender is considered surrender. There's never been a time in the history of mankind where 99% surrender is considered surrender. You can't say, I'm surrendering, I'm cooperating while you're still trying to pull away. It can't be done. Surrender, surrender. And what Christ calls us to do is admit our weakness and surrender it all to him. Say, I can't do this on my own. I'm giving my life into your hands. I'm accepting what you did in place of my sin. So that Jesus can say before the Father, no, this one is innocent. All the crime have already been paid for. All the crimes have been paid for. I did it on the cross. Nothing sticks to this person anymore. They're completely and utterly free. To come to Jesus Christ, it's very simple. And I know a bracelet or something just exploded over here, but focus in just for a second. To come to Jesus Christ is very simple. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. There's no amount that you can spray over it like we talked last night that can can overdo anything that you've already put there. If I had a bottle of water up here and I put just a little bit of arsenic in it, just a tablespoon, but I told you it's 95% spring water and tried to give it to you, and then I revealed to you that there's arsenic in it. You might not even know what arsenic is, but it doesn't sound good, does it? You'd probably refuse that bottle of water because it's going to hospitalize you and possibly kill you. It doesn't matter that it's 95% spring water. Jesus didn't die for your Sunday mornings. He didn't die for you to read the Bible for five minutes a day. Jesus didn't die so that, he, so that you could be baptized, sprinkled, dunked, poured, whatever they happen to do in a church you might go through, or so that you could go through a confirmation class. He didn't die for any of that stuff. He died for all of you, 100% of your life, to step out and say, I surrender all of it to you, God. I'm not holding something back. I'm not saying all of it but my Friday night, all of it but this one thing nobody knows about, all of it but what's on my computer at home, all of it but this, but everything. And when we give Jesus our sin, we give Jesus our life. So it's what it's always been. It's his grace and us believing him putting our faith in his grace, grace through faith. We repent, we turn the other way and we start that relationship. What's your name right here? Jack, come here a second. Here's what Jesus promises for us. Jesus says, if you'll do that, I'm never gonna leave you and I'm never gonna say I don't know you. So Jack, I want you to turn around and start walking away from me for a second. All right, you can turn around. All right, so I'm right here still. This is what Jesus does for us. He starts a relationship that even when we're not following him like we should, he stays faithful to us. But it works a lot better if we're following him. He wants it all. all right, you can have a seat, Jack. Awesome. What we're going to do right now, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to open these doors right here. And I'm going to ask that you respect this moment because some people, God may be speaking directly to their heart right now. And you're thinking, you know what? I, I, I haven't done that. I need to do that. I would like to give Christ my life so that he could be, he could give me that He's the one in control. Give him control of my life so his strength can be made perfect in my weakness. So in just a moment, we're going to open those doors. I'm going to send you guys out just for a few minutes, probably about 10 minutes. We're going to go out here on the field. Now, right outside the door is pretty wet, but up here on the field, I just walked in a little while ago, it's pretty dry. I want you to have a seat somewhere in the grass, not sitting near anybody else. Leave about 10, maybe 15 feet between each person if we, if we have that much room to do that. And have a conversation with God for the first time. You might think, I'm not ready to do this. I don't want to do this. I, I've been trying to block this out all week. That's okay. Just sit there in silence. Think about something else. But maybe you want to have a conversation with God for the first time. Or maybe you've had a lot of conversations with God, but you didn't understand how you could come to know him. You can right there, right in the silence of looking at God's creation, hand Jesus your sins and place your life in his hands, and he will make you new. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from every wrong. He's not going to say, well, that one's too bad. None of them are too bad. He can take care of all of them. He's already done it on the cross. That's what God wants to do. We're going to have our counselors walking around. Maybe you're like, yeah, I want to do that. I don't really understand how. Just slip your hand up, and one of our counselors will come to you immediately. You might want a specific counselor. You can can say, when a counselor comes over, hey, can you go get so-and-so? But our counselors, this is what they've been praying for since you walked onto campus, is that you would find an encounter with the living God and surrender your life to his will so that he can show you what he really created you for in the first place. After about 10 minutes, we're going to ring the bell. If you guys can silently kind of come back in here, we want to celebrate with anybody who makes a decision tonight, who makes a decision to follow Christ and turn everything over to him. I want to celebrate with you because you'll never be the same. 15 years old at a camp, made this decision, and I've never been the same. God has revolutionized my life. I'm a completely different person than I was. He can do the same for you. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that we just silently walk out of here, find somewhere to sit, have that conversation with God. And if you're ready and you're willing, turn it all over to him. If you're not ready, maybe there's some questions you want to ask. Of your counselor. Maybe there's some time where your group gets together later where you want to dig into this a little bit more. Maybe you want to pull me aside or one of the other people who work here and ask a couple questions. That's totally fine too. But if you're ready to turn it all over to him, what an awesome time to do it. God, I thank you so much for these students. Lord, tonight I truly believe that you're calling some of them to you. Lord, I believe you're calling all of them, but some of us are listening. And we're hearing that. We're hearing that faint knock on our heart saying, I want to come in and be friends with you. Let me remove this sin so I can make you a new creation. God, as the students go out into this field, I pray that they would feel the freedom to have a conversation with you in the silence of their heart out loud if they need to but that they would know that there's a loving God in heaven who hears them and who longs to be friends with them, who made them for this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision to surrender everything to Jesus tonight, the Bible tells us your name gets written in this awesome book called The Lamb's Book of Life, Jesus being that Lamb of God who gave his life for us. It gets like added to it, which is so awesome because nobody can take that away. No one can come and just mark out your name and say, "Yeah, yeah, you're not one of his. No one can take you out of the Father's hand that he's got it, that he loves you enough to keep you with him and to hold on to you as tight as he possibly can. I want to give you an opportunity. I know this isn't the same thing as the Lamb's book of life. But an opportunity to put your name down, if you gave your life to Jesus tonight, if you surrendered everything to him, you handed your sins over to God, to place your name on one of these index cards. I've got some on this table here and some pens. I've got some pens and index cards on this music stand and on this this one as well. And just take a couple minutes to do that in just a second. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is not so we can have, you know, oh, this many people did that or whatever. It's because I want to personally pray for you. And have your name. You don't have to put your last name, but your, your first name. You can put your last if you want. But So I can, I can be able to pray for you over the next couple weeks because it's, it, it, God starts making you new. And our enemy, we don't talk a lot about Satan because I don't like to even bring him up because he's so stupid compared to God. I don't like bringing him up. But he's got plans for you too, and they're not positive. And he doesn't want you to be effective for God. And so he's already got this idea of of how he's going to derail you and how every time things go out of control that you'll start to say, oh, I guess God doesn't care about me. God's going to walk with you through that stuff because we still live in an out-of-control world. But what I'd like to do over the next couple weeks is be able to go through these cards and pray for you by name, that God would give you strength, that you would rely on him, that you would start to grow in your relationship with him as you learn more and more about him, that you would start reading through this love letter that he wrote us called the Bible and learning more and more about what God wants for you and how awesome his plans are for you and how much he deeply loves you. So if you, I don't know, there could have been one person who did that out there tonight. There might be 20 of you. I have no idea. I've got enough cards here for however many people I think that may have done that, made that decision. If you made a decision tonight and you turned from your sins and you you, you turned and gave your life to Jesus like I did at 15, like Taco did when he was in high school, like your, your leaders in here who have personal relationships with Jesus Christ too, that they've made that decision at some point and now you've done that too, I'd like for you to get up. I'm not going to count or do anything weird like that, but you can just get up right now and come and just write your name on one of these cards so I can be praying for you over the next couple weeks if you made that decision tonight. For Those of you guys and girls who are still struggling with this, I respect that. I really do. Because you're like, you know, I'm not going to, if I can't give him 100%, I'm not going to do that. And that's what Nate was talking about in here. And I'm not sure if I'm willing to give that all. I completely respect that because it's so much better than saying, you know what, I'm going to give Jesus half of it and really not understanding what Jesus is asking for in the first place. So I'm going to ask if that's you, and you'd say, you know what, that's, that's me. I've not, I, I've not made this decision because they've still got questions. So I'm going to ask you that the next couple days, look for those answers. Talk to your counselor. Say, hey, I don't get this about Jesus. I don't understand this about God. Could you maybe explain that to me? Start weighing that in your mind of, of whether or not this is something that you want to give your life to to put your trust and your faith in. And I want to give you something that somebody uh, told me a long time ago that kind of helped me, and it's also in Proverbs. The Proverbs says, if a man falls down six times, he should get up seven times. So if you were cheering for me in a race and I fell, and I was the guy you were cheering for, you would all yell, get up, you know, because if I lay there, I'm not successful. And we've got to keep moving. That's the definition of success in the walk with Jesus type life, is when you do mess up. Jesus is cheering for you to get up. He wants you to keep moving forward. He wants to give you the strength to do that. Never count yourself out. When you have God, he's gonna push through with you. His strength is gonna be made perfect in your weakness. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I'm blown away every time somebody turns their life over to you, God. I didn't expect so many students to have done that tonight because I never know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know who you're calling out. I don't know what you're saying to our hearts, but God, we thank you that you're such a good God and you're still in the life-changing business. That's what you want to do. You love us too much to leave us alone and you love us too much to leave us the way you found us and you're going to make us new. You're going to do awesome things in the lives of these guys and girls. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to turn their sin over to you God, thank you for taking it out of the picture and erasing it as if it never even happened. That you forgive them, that you're not holding it against them any longer. And Lord, as they place their life in your hands, I pray that they wouldn't start to pull back on the reins and pull back on in different places and try to be in control again. But that we realize that you're the only one who can do it right, who can take us through this life, how we were meant to in the first place. Lord, I thank you for that opt-back-in that we have through the cross, for the power that the gospel, that good news that you've died for us and that you've risen again, the power that that is to continue over and over again, year after year, to see new people become new. Lord, I thank you and praise you for what you're doing with these students, for the conversations that they'll have tonight in their groups, for the fun that we'll have tonight in the late-night activities. Lord, I pray that this isn't the end of the conversation, but it's the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.